The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Welcome back to the fighter versus the writer. I am Damon Martin this week, as I am always so happy to have as a co-host. I am always welcome to uh, to talk to this guy, one of the top analysts in the sport, calling fights, doing analyst gigs, just staying busy, doing podcasts, he's doing all kinds of stuff. Always my pleasure to welcome in Alan Joban. Alan, how are you? I'm doing good, brother. Always, always happy to be here and jump on with you. Absolutely, man. So uh, obviously you are, you were just calling fights this last weekend. I know that's kind of been like a passion thing for you getting into calling fights. I'm telling you, they're going to call you in for the UFC one day soon. I, it's got to happen. It's coming, man. I think what I think the, 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 the path to get there is starting to kind of, it's starting to kind of present itself. You know, the, I do the road to the UFC, which is kind of the Asian tournament that the UFC puts on. And it looks like this year I'm going to get to do the color commentary on it. I was supposed to do it last year, but I got sick. So I think they're giving me another shot at it, which would be my first color kind of color commentating debut. And then I and then after that, I would love to jump into contender series. I think that's the one that just makes sense. It's a smaller show. They don't need the big guys to do it at first. And guys like me can go in there and get repetitions. But it's coming, man. I think we're on we're on on path to getting it done. Absolutely. Well, uh, Alan, obviously, always always a lot going on in the MMA world. We are gearing up for a very busy couple of months. I mean. We are basically a week, a little over a week away from UFC 299, which is a ridiculous card. And then, of course, we got a couple other cards in there, Atlantic City. And then we roll into UFC 300, which is basically at this point less than a, you know, less than two months away, about six weeks away at this point. This schedule, man, it's wild because like last week we had Mexico City. That card was insane with all the crowd and everything. We roll right into this weekend. Got to be honest, maybe not the strongest card on paper, but uh, but then 299 is, I mean, I've had people tell me they think 299 is better than 300, which I don't know if I necessarily agree with that top to bottom, but the main card yeah. is pretty ridiculous. Great, great main card. I mean, obviously, 
O'Malley is one that gets a lot of attention. Poirier, something eat is just a born burner of a fight. Um, and, and then, like you said, it's riddled with stuff. Um, the entire main card, the entire pay-per-view portion is solid. But it's 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 one of those that it, you it's, when you look at 300, you can't compete when you talk about the first fight of the night to the last fight of the night. Solid fights, solid matchups. Yes, we didn't get the star power overwhelming type of somebody coming back out of retirement or the superstar Conor McGregor and ADS type guy on there. But when it comes to top to bottom matchups, it's definitely, I would say it's the strongest card we've ever had from top to bottom. Yeah. I heard it's funny. We did the podcast before and Matt Brown said this uh, last week or two weeks ago, and he had a great point. We were talking about Jamal Hill and Alex Pereira fight that got announced. And he's like, he's like, I think the UFC made a mistake announcing this incredible top to bottom card and then just leaving the main event because the expectations were just too high. He's like, if you would yeah. announce Pereira and Hill right away, people may have been like, oh, it's not the big blockbuster. But then you start announcing Gaethje Holloway and and, uh, you know, and Kayla Harrison making her debut and all these other fights. Then it's like, oh, well, you know, maybe the main event's not the strongest fight in the world, but we have just a stat card. He's like, and I agree, like they should have gone in reverse because I don't think anyone would be complaining about Hill and Pereira if you saw the rest of that card afterwards. But listen, People are just gonna. People are not gonna be satisfied unless they announce Brock Lesnar fighting Fedor. Like, yeah. that's what people were expecting. That was never gonna happen. Which, by the way, come on. At this point in their careers, like Lesnar's like forty six, Fedor's like forty five. We really yeah. don't need to see that, anyways. But people just had these unrealistic expectations. Like, we're gonna get George St. Pierre against Khabib, and it's like, come on. That was never on the table. And I, I would. I think people don't understand is, you know. This wasn't the UFC's first choice. I mean, they came out and said it. They were looking at Hamzat. They were looking at Leon. They were looking at uh, style at uh, um, Izzy. They were looking at all these fights, and, and they couldn't put them together. You know, uh, Jamal Hill came out and said, "I got a call on Friday night before they announced it on Saturday night." So, this was obviously a backup situation that had to happen. So they were trying to pull the you know rabbit out of a hat and 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 give the fans what they wanted. They just couldn't do it. And thankfully, again, the UFC roster is deep enough and we've got guys that are like can compete in multiple weight classes that you were able to still make this strong main event, not the one that we all love. You know, we don't think it really it blows the roof off of the place in comparison to every other fight on there. It, it, it's aligned with every other fight, solid matchup, solid matchup, solid matchup, but it's not. A huge headliner but yeah that's the thing they would have announced it in backwards order if it was something that they had booked <laughs> booked months in advance but they they figured that out a day or two before they announced it and then you can't really hold off on announcing the other ones because it's going to get leaked right fighters talk fighters do interviews uh managers talk everybody kind of the word on the street's always out like every time you hear ariel hawani say trust me on this one guys i've got a feeling about this it's because he knows something he's being polite he, he's not just he's not just you know he knows he can't say stuff sometimes so get in trouble or it'll look bad on him but he's saying look i've got some intel and this is what i'm thinking that means he's been told that by a fighter or a manager and he said look keep it on the low so you can't just hold out on fights for so long these days they, they pop up so fast so the ufc kind of had to do it the way that they did it but all in all i thought they handled it pretty well like they made a terrific card that just doesn't have that one spark fight, but it's just a, a solid card from top to bottom. The one that I think we all imagined, the one that would have been, you know, I think it would have topped everything in terms of expectation, which we all expected, which was Conor McGregor 
Michael Chandler. Seemed like that was a no-brainer. I mean, it just everybody would have like been it, happy. Yeah, everyone would have been completely happy. But now we're in a world where Connor announced June 29th. Dana has been emphatic saying that's not happening. Maybe the fall. They say maybe the fall. I don't Hopefully know what's going on with this. I don't. I really so, don't understand this kind of situation. So uh, I, I don't. don't. Wanna, I know he was shooting a movie. He had to pass you saw yeah. All that is now taking a back seat. What is the holdup at this point? I wish I knew. I just saw Connor post the, obviously he's got Roadhouse coming out next month, which I know he has to promote that. And that's part of the contract. When you do a movie, you have to promote it. And I get that. Maybe that would have interfered with, you know, UFC 300, basically two weeks later. Cause that movie drops, I think March 21st, Connor put on, I think it was on Twitter, or Instagram today. He said, I did all my own stunts. So obviously his legs. Okay. Like, it's not like he, you don't do stunts in a movie. If you're walking around on a broken leg, like he obviously was healthy enough to do that. I don't know what the holdup is, but here's my question, because I think this is something that it doesn't get discussed enough because Connor's the star. We all agree Connor's the star. And, and when Connor shows up, we all watch. But we saw right after all this happened, Michael Chandler got a really cool moment on WWE Raw last week. Yeah. They gave him the mic in front of the crowd in Anaheim. He said, you know, Connor McGregor, I'm waiting for you. And I think everyone watching is like, cool, but we're all waiting, too. Like, you're not the only one. Um, I realized looking today, Michael Chandler in April, April 24th, I believe he will turn 38. He has now oh, been out man. of action for almost two years. He was last fought. I didn't against... realize Chandler was that old. I yeah. really didn't. At what point, at what point does he have to move on? Now I like, I defend the idea that this is such a massive fight payday wise, stature wise. And you know, Chandler's coming off a loss. He he lost to Dustapori in his last fight in 2022. It's not like he's coming off four wins in a row, was waiting for a title shot, and he's he's passing that up to get Connor. He's not in line for that anyway. So Connor is the biggest fight he could get. But at what point do you have to say enough's enough and I got to move on? Like I don't know what that answer is because it sure doesn't seem like we know when Connor's going to fight again. I mean, it makes me realize that Connor holds all the cards. I mean, we already, we already kind of knew that because he is the A-side, he's the star, right? So he gets to call the shots, the weight class, the win the fight, where, I mean, he seems to call it all. But you just mentioned, I mean, Michael Chandler is 38 years old. And what is his style? He's one of the most entertaining fighters inside of the UFC because he goes for broke. You know, it's not that he doesn't have a high, high IQ, but he throws that IQ out the window to give entertainment to the fans. That type of style completely... Contrast of for somebody that's getting older is what I'm getting at. You can't. That's the first thing to go. Taking big shots and staying in there. You have to fight smarter and smarter the older that you get. So it makes me realize this plays in Connor's favor even more. I mean, it's, it's like the longer he waits, now he's fighting an older Chandler. It's like the better percentage of Connor winning. And I'm not saying that he's doing that, but he's like, what am I? What do I have to do? I got a, a movie premiere coming out. I got everything going, even though I'm not fighting. I still the Connor train is still rolling along, and oh by the way, my opponent as they are both getting older, at, you know, at the same time. But my opponent is at that age now, thirty eight. I retired a week before I turned thirty nine. I know what it is, thirty eight, thirty nine. That's that's the age where guys start really taking on losses. So it almost benefits Connor. The more that he wants to sit out, he's in no rush at all. You know, now that I have, then I'm realizing this news. But for and also on the other side of things, you look at Michael Chandler. You've got to hold out, in my opinion. In my opinion, what do you at 30 years old? You say I waited two or three years for this huge Connor fight, this huge payday, and now I'm gonna sit out all that time and not get the reward. I'm gonna put that aside and go back to a contract negotiated payment fight against 
somebody in the top 10? No, like, and and maybe that's, maybe Chandler has one or two fights left in him. You know, I, I don't know what he gets paid, but if he's going to go back and get a pay scale where he might make one or $200,000 and fight two tough guys, or he could stick to what he's doing and get a couple million dollars and fight Conor McGregor with all these question marks surrounding him, you've got to stay the course. You've got to stay the course and fight Conor McGregor. It's almost like he's too deep into it now. It's like when you make an investment and the stock keeps dropping, you're like, "Well, I'm screwed anyway, so I might as well just wait and see if it turns around." Because it yeah. ain't gonna, it's you know, you're you're just too invested at that point. It's like watching a a bad TV show, and you're like, "Man, I just got to finish it. I've already been this. I've already <laughs> watched, I've already invested four seasons. I guess I got to watch the fifth. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I get it. I just, I feel bad for the guy though because he's been waiting. I mean, look, I like realizing this. The Ultimate Fighter started filming a year ago. Like it's been over a year since they even did that show. You know the great thing for him though, and he mentioned this. He said, "Look, he hasn't got the fight, but look at the flip side." And he mentioned some of these things. All the time he's been able to spend with his family, all these opportunities that have uh, came up that that, that probably weren't going to be there before the kind of thing. You know, the tough enough, uh, the Ultimate Fighter, rather. Um, he did the Ultimate Fighter. He got a lot of publicity from that. He was on ESPN a lot doing interviews. The, the, the WWE thing, the uh, is it WWE now? Yeah, Am I yeah, saying yeah. that correctly? Yep, okay, that's, yep. that's how out of the loop I am. The TKO <laughs> group coming together. They're looking for guys exactly like Con, uh, Ch- Michael Chandler. By the way, he nailed that. I don't think any fighter in the UFC could have cut a promo quite like that. Not just doing so well, but he took his style of, 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 of making a hot mic moment and he and he and he, and he, he mixed that, he merged that with the WWE world. I mean, he seemed like a wrestler that have done that before. Yes, and that was one of his first times doing that in front of an arena full of people where he's in the crowd. You know, he didn't just get them with a the fight and has a lot of drilling. He's sitting there on the sidelines cold, right? And they come up to him. And I, you're just sitting there. You didn't do a match. You're not in the middle of the of the ring competing. You don't have the energy of the rock or somebody kind of fueling you. You're sitting there nervous waiting in anticipation i know this girl is going to come interview me and i've got to just flip that switch and turn it on and he did it and he i mean you couldn't have done a better job and i think um the tko group type people that made that decision look let's have this merger they're saying okay he nailed it we need everyone to be like this and, and and even more but what i'm getting at at the end of the day is for a guy that hasn't been able to fight for so long and he's holding on to this to this fight so closely he has been able to monetize from it. He's been able to make money. He's been having to have appearances. His brand has continued to grow, and he's been able to spend time with his family, let he, injuries on his body heal, and get stronger. So it would suck at the end of the day for Chandler not to get rewarded with this fight, but this is the best possible outcome for not fighting and waiting on a fight in three years to any fighter that could have in terms of the reward that he has received. Yeah, it's it's a weird one. Like I feel for the guy because he is, and I don't. I mean, I think Chandler would probably agree with this. Like he is the B side. Like he has to kind of jump to the, you know, he has to kind of jump to Connor's tune a little bit here because Connor is that guy. Like you know, Connor has that power, and it's just a weird situation because like I remember talking to Chandler right before he left for filming, and I was like, so what do you think in August September? And he's like, yeah, I think that'd probably be a good time. You know, the show was going to end in August. And he said, you know, probably September pay-per-view would be a good timeline. Okay, great. Well, yeah, and that would yeah, at that time we're like that would give Connor plenty of time to get back in the testing pool. Good. And then September comes and goes. And then we hear December. And they're like, December, end of the year. And then that comes and goes. Then we think, well, maybe it's going to be UFC 300. And then that doesn't. It's just like, I just like I'm with you. Like, 
in the back of my head, as he's about to turn 38, you know, in a month or two months from now, I'm like, at some point, like, how many of your prime years are you wasting just waiting for Conor McGregor? Because yeah. at this yeah. point, by the time he fights, I, it's probably going to be at least two years between fights. Now, that's not ideal at that age for anybody because you'd only have so many years in fighting and he's going to be 38. That's, you know, you're at the tail end at that point. We all understand that. But I also understand the flip side of this is you invested so much time in this. Do you really want to give up on that and go fight Matush Gamrot, go fight Armin Sarukian, go fight, you know, uh, any of these other you know, these young up and coming killers in the division? Not say you can't win those fights, but you've you've invested. It's like I said, you've invested so much time and effort into getting this Connor fight. Like, it's almost like you got to stay the course. Like, you just can't give up at this point. You got to. You know what? I'm just going to keep waiting until he finally comes back, because otherwise, what have you what have you what have you wasted for these last two years? And it makes sense on both ends. That's the good thing for Chandler because I don't care what anyone says about this. I don't see Connor coming back and ever looking anything like like he used to. He's not. He's been away too long. His body has changed drastically. He's had a severe type of life-altering type injury. Guys that have those type of injuries, they don't come back and throw kicks. To you remember when Anderson Silver broke his leg and he would throw kicks and knees and everything? After that, he never threw low kicks anymore. He would throw a couple high kicks. He didn't even want to kick the elbows or risk kicking a bone. He would Now and then he would place a low kick. I mean, guys, they, just, they don't feel comfortable throwing kicks the same way or having the same type of mobility. Do I feel like he's fully recovered? He is back to as strong as he will ever be moving on from this injury. But with the time that has gone by, the injury, not being active, the body change, you know, whatever he was taking while he did it, I'm not even going to get into that, but his body obviously changed. He was taking some stuff. He put on 20 pounds of muscle. He did the movie. He's coming down, coming up on weight. He's not going to be the same guy. Connor doesn't want to go in there. And as you just mentioned, fight a Matias Gamrot, fight one of these Armand Sarukian, young, hungry lions that are still in, in the prime, in the peak of their career. He needs a 38-year-old Michael Chandler that will step into there and step into the fire and go to war with him. They need each other just as much as, as both need each other, but Connor's not willing to admit that because Connor can fight anybody that he wants, and he and he will. But realistically, Connor needs Michael Chandler to go out there and, and, and have this storybook type of ending, have this fight. Chandler needs him just as bad because after that, he can't pass up this payday after all this waiting. Yeah, and also you got to remember, like, for Chandler, like, he already had the other two big fights in this division he could have. He fought Gaethje and he fought Poirier. Those are two big fights that you would get that are like, you know, those barn burner guaranteed fight of the night kind of fights. He already had both of those. So what else is out there? Like, what, again, is he going to fight Sarukian? That young savage, is he going to fight Gamrot, who is a great fighter, but let's be honest, that's not a, a monster fight, you know what I mean, to fight Gamrot against Chandler. Uh, and, and same thing for Connor. Like, you're right. Like, Connor could come back. Connor can fight anybody because that's Connor, but realistically, does he have, do we, we give him a great shot at this point in his career beating Armin Sarukian? I mean, I don't. I don't. You know, I, I, so I don't this see is, and, you know, and you know, the, 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 the aura of Connor is gone, I think. I think the presence, the star power will always be there as long as Connor is around. Him having this touch you one time, you go to sleep, the, the hardest hitter, the precision striking, the accuracy, he's got those things, but they have somewhat diminished or the aura of that 
is now gone. You look what Dustin Poirier did right there. You know, Dustin Poirier obviously lost their first fight. Connor placed that beautiful punch around the side of the ear, put him to sleep. Dustin has famously said he's the hardest hitter I've ever gone against. And, and he might still say that. Dustin might still say that. But Dustin stood in there toe-to-toe with him these last two fights, and he took some of Connor's best punches, and he shrugged it off, and he came back, and he knocked Connor out. And then the leg break. But you could stand and trade with him now, and people are saying, oh, you don't have to be like so scared or so nervous energy like, like, like Jose Aldo where you rushed in and got caught. It was you know more of a timing thing mixed with the power. But the, the, the aura of that invincibility or that the hardest hitter with the best timing and precision striking, it's kind of gone. He, Connor's gotten older too. He's been away too long. And again, all these different body changes and injuries uh, mixed with seeing somebody put him on his back, not, not from wrestling, from striking, standing toe-to-toe, Connor's best weapon. And they're winning now against Connor. So that's gone. He needs Chandler. He doesn't want to go in there with these young lions anymore. So what do you think right now? Just out of your, just, we, I have no inside knowledge of this, and I'm sure you're in the same boat as everybody because we just don't know why. Do we see Connor back this year? Do you think before 2024 is over, do we see Connor and Chandler actually fight? Yeah, I mean, I, I would think it would be this year. I would. I mean, the talks of it has been, have been, you know, steadily consistent lately. Um, and, and I think, I think once this movie is done, I think there will be no more strings holding Connor back. He, he's he's going to have this fun in the entertainment world, and he's going to say, all right, I'm in shape. I've got no more excuses. connor has got to be thinking as well, how many years in my prime do I have left? Which, is, like I said, in my opinion, I think that era is gone. But is he still a young, enough, fresh fighter to still you know headline and do all these things and have these big top fights, guys in the top five, the top ten? He's still in that category. He's got to do it now, though. I mean, you can't take off for a whole nother year and think it's going to happen. But I would say end of 2024, we see this fight, Conor McGregor, Michael Chandler. I think November probably makes a lot of sense. MSG. MSG, huh? Connor. You know, I said this last week on the podcast. I didn't like I didn't even the timing like because I was at his fight with Eddie Alvarez when he kind of ascended to like a different level of star power becoming yeah. champ champ. That was eight years ago. It was 2016. That's insane yeah. to me. That's eight years ago. Yeah, eight years is a long time. But uh, yeah, I think November because you got to imagine September they're going to do the sphere. They said that the, now. The that's gonna do be you think that has to be a, like a Mexican uh, uh, main event? You know, the, the, do you think they would like? What if Connor wanted to do the spear? I mean, so, I guess they would let Connor do whatever he wants. But the only reason I don't think they do the sphere for Connor is because ticket sells because you couldn't get as many. I, I think the there's door, a limited. Yeah. I think there's a limited amount of like seating. I think it's like fourteen thousand or something. Yeah, which is, so, which is more than I thought, to be honest. Yeah. It is, but nineteen thousand in T-Mobile, five thousand extra tickets. That's another million dollars or whatever. So I think that's going to be. But I do think, I do think, if they're doing the pay per view, I don't think it's going to just be a Mexican Independence Day card anymore. It's going to be like right. I think you know we could see Alexa Grasso and Valentina on there, but I don't think they're going to just go with that. I've heard rumors. Uh, you know, other fights could be on there, like, you know, in terms of titles, things like that. Maybe it's Izzy and uh, Dracus. Maybe it's Dracus and uh, Hamzat, something like that. Like, that would be a big fight. <laughs> but then I, I'm, I'm so I'm laughing because I'm like, we're talking about 
Izzy and Drakus Duplessis, the, the Africans <laughs> fighting on Mexican independence. Day. You never know. You never know. There's all those guys in Africa, damn it. Yeah. Put them in Africa. But then you Nate got Diaz. Like, Nate Diaz was tweeting about it. Yeah, there you go. Then you got October. That's probably going to be Abu Dhabi. That's kind of been the, the timing for Abu Dhabi. You got to imagine that's going to be that. And then November MSG. I think that's kind of the perfect landing spot for Connor, in my opinion. Like, it's weird. Line. It's weird to think it would be that long to get that fight, but. Yeah, I, like in the back of my head, I'm like man, Chandler, you can't keep wasting time. But you're at this point, like I said, it's like I said, you've invested so much in this stock. You're like, I'm going down with, I'm going down with the plane. You've got to, you've <laughs> got to go down with the plane. I mean, I would, I, I really would. I think at this point, if I was in his shoes and everything that's happened and how much I promoted it to, all of a sudden say, no, I'm jumping, like jumping ship. What after all this, dude? I mean, like he's you're gonna give somebody else. The red panty night, you're going to give somebody else this huge opportunity to headline this, to make all this money after you've been in the backseat the whole time waiting for your opportunity. Now you're 38. The young Lions, no, man. Go against Conor McGregor. He's not the same guy. You're getting older. The payday is going to be there at the end of it. It's worth it. Yeah, go. To, you're going down with the ship at this point, buddy. You're the captain, and you're on the Titanic. You may not, you, you hope that you survive, but you know you're going down with the ship at this point. You might as well just stay on board. Um, so... I also want to mention this last weekend, a huge moment, which doesn't get as much attention in America because I'll be honest, Alan, I'm not a soccer guy. I'm not like I grew up. I played soccer as a kid, but like in ter- mm-hmm. in current terms, I don't know the players. I don't watch soccer at this point in my, in my life. But yesterday, Ilya Taporia got to go out and do the honorary kickoff for a Real Madrid game in Spain. 80 some odd thousand fans in attendance. And everyone I've talked to who is an actual big soccer fan says this is a massive, massive deal. Now, Dana has said he wants to take the UFC to Spain this year. When that would be, I don't know. I think maybe August, that could be a potential. Like, I think that kind of date maybe is open. Please. If yeah. they're doing, you know, they're doing September at the Sphere. So the big question is who? Who does he fight? Brian Ortega pulled off an incredible comeback this last weekend to beat Yaya Rodriguez. Of course, we know Alexander Volkanovsky, former champion, multi-time defending champion. Of course, he wants the rematch. He's coming up two knockouts in a row, though. So, like, where do we go with, with Ilya Tapori? Is it Do we need to see one more fight? Like, do we want to see Mosar fight? Maybe is Max Holloway if he beats Gaethje? Like, what is the fight mm. for Ilya Taporia? It's a good question. I think those are the three guys that you named, though. Mavsar Yevloyev, I think that would probably be... I think that would be his toughest test, to be honest. I think Yevloyev would be the toughest test test for Taporia. Now, I think that um, you look at Volkanovski, and I think it's a rematch is warranted for him, right? He's the GOAT. GOAT in my eyes, greatest featherweight we've ever had in the UFC. He's beaten all of the other people on that list that are possibly competing against him. He is the GOAT. He got caught. He got caught by an expert striker. He's really good on the ground, Ilya Tepoya. But I think... Uh, a rematch would be warranted. I think if he wants it, I think the UFC should give that to him if they decide to go elsewhere. My goodness. I mean, uh, Brian Ortega, my man. Uh, I feel, you know, Brian, Brian had almost the type of kind of fight that that he needed, you know, because I feel like a lot of people had kind of passed on Brian Ortega. They said, you know, he's had some opportunities, Got real real high in the start sport real fast in the in the sport real quickly and then I uh, had some lows and he was out for a while and you 
being out in the UFC and fighting is like a loss. You know, it's all about momentum. And he lost all his momentum. And people kind of forgot about Brian Ortega. Not only did he come up with the win, but he came out there and he showed heart. And people respect heart. People love heart. People love a comeback story. He goes out there and he rolls his freaking ankle in the jumping. <laughs> I felt so bad for him because you could see in his eyes and his cornerman's eyes, they didn't want to acknowledge it. He looked back at his corners and they were just like, <laughs> like positivity. You're good. You're good. You're good. Right. I mean, it was just, you can't acknowledge it. Are you okay? You can not say, are you okay before war? We're good. But it's like, shit, <laughs> what else could go wrong? That goes wrong. He goes in there and gets blasted. He's hurt. It was almost over early in that fight, and he comes back with the heart, gets the win. I mean, God dang. I mean, he just – and then that speech afterward, the guy was beat up. I mean, it was it was almost – I think it was written beautifully. It was like it was like a movie the way that it was written, and I think even though everybody wants to go in there and not get hurt when it was a clean fight, I think, in my opinion, it, it, it brought his stock higher. Because we say this guy, he's so good in jujitsu. Oh, he's got some bad boy Mexican boxing. And the kid is tough as nails. And he's got heart. And he's always in the fight. And this is his comeback story. And he won over the crowd. And he won over the fans. Um, and so that puts him in that that conversation as well. It's a tough, it's a tough um uh pick for the UFC, but it's good to have these type of options, right? I mean, I think ideally, if he's healthy and ready to go, and again, that's the big question. I think you got to give Volkanovski the chance. I don't love back-to-back -back rematches, especially when the guy got knocked out. It wasn't like it was any kind mm -hmm. of controversial. Like, when Max got a rematch after a split decision, I was like, that makes a lot of sense. Like, that was a razor-close fight. He should get yeah. it because it was Max Holloway. I don't love it like this because he got knocked out clean. wasn't really that, you know. He, yeah, I know technically he won the first round of the scorecards, but, you know, he got knocked out clean the second round. Um, but if he's healthy and he's actually ready to go, I don't see how you can deny Volkanovski. But I will say this. My other caveat I'll throw in here. Maybe Volkanovski wants to actually take some time off. Like, maybe he really wants to take time to recover, let his brain heal, let his just emotions heal, all that kind of stuff. If Max Holloway can go out there and beat Justin Gaethje, which I know that's an incredibly tall order, if he beats Justin Gaethje, no offense to Volkanovski, and I think Ilya Tapori is on his way there, but Max Holloway is still the biggest star at 145 pounds right now. Mm. Max yeah. Holloway, when Max Holloway fights, people watch. Doesn't yeah. say controversial things. Doesn't try to you know doesn't try to sell his fights that way. But when Max Holloway fights. People pay attention. If he could beat Justin Gaethje at UFC 300, I don't know that he will. That's an incredibly tough fight. And become a BMF. And become a BMF. Imagine him and Taporia in a stadium in Spain. That would be massive. And then you've got Taporia, who is becoming a star in his home country against an established veteran star in Max Holloway. I think if, to, if Volkanovski's not ready or hurt or just wants to take time off, and you can get Holloway in there against Taporia. That is a massive, massive fight. I don't think it's too far fetched, man. Um, you know, and talking and talking with Dustin Poirier about uh, that matchup. I remember him telling me that um, he thinks Max Holloway is going to be too much. And if anybody knows these fighters, Dustin knows them better than any of us, right? He's he's fought both of them twice, I believe. Um, he thinks Max's style might might be too much. Um. And so we'll see, man. It's a tall order going up, bigger, hard-hitting Justin Gaethje. But uh, if anybody can take a good punch, <laughs> it's, it's Max Holloway, right? I mean, the guy the guy doesn't get knocked down too much or ever. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a good one, too, as, as well. I like that because, you know, when I look at – I agree with you, by the way. 
he got finished, Volkanovski. Does it warrant an immediate rematch? Again, he's the GOAT, so I think it trumps everything else. But it was a clear, clean-cut victory. So it's not as enticing, as you said, as like a split victory or uh, you know something like that, split decision. But when you look at the kind of star power or the, the greatness that Ale Alexander Volkanovsky brings to that fight or a rematch over Brian Ortega, who's been out for a very long time, just got came back and had a beautiful victory, but it doesn't, it, it's not like Brian Ortega is the baddest man on the planet that these two guys have to collide. Brian Ortega is now back on track. And he's got his mojo back, but we still need to see more. Then you look at Ivloyev. He's lower down the rankings, I believe, right? I think he's one of the tougher tasks because of dominance in the grappling. But he's not the star power. He's not the name that people are dying to see. He's like that really, really good grappler that nobody wants to face that's a little down in the rankings that has a tough time getting fights. He's not selling out stadiums. So because of those two reasons, I agree. Hey, Max Holloway goes out there, beats um, Justin Gaethje. You would have to look at that fight in regards to also looking at the rematch with Alexander Volkanovsky. Both of those two against the Poirier in Spain all day, baby. That's a beautiful fight. It's going to be huge. I mean, like I said, the UFC loves to expand and get out to new territories. And if they can pack a stadium with 80,000 people or whatever it is, whatever number that's going to be for Taporia, that's huge. And, uh, and and I think, listen, I'm with you on Ortega. I think Brian, what Brian did this last week, it was incredible. It was an awe-inspiring awe -inspiring victory. But I think you also got to be realistic and say, like, the guy was out for two years. Can he stay healthy? Like, I think if he stays healthy, you book him with Mosar, give Mosar a chance to either become a star or Ortega to pick up a win over another established good high-level featherweight, and then he gets the title shot. Because he's had a couple opportunities, and neither one, you know, he had a, he had a, he had a couple moments in the Volkanovski fight with the submissions, but outside of that, it was a pretty one-sided fight, and Max mm -hmm. just absolutely beat him up. It was not a close fight. Max just absolutely beat him up, and, and Brian looked like he had gone through a car crash at the end of that fight. Yeah. So it's almost like I'd like to see him get one more before, because, dude, the last guy you want to go in there taking damage with is Ilya freaking Tapori. That guy will put damage on you like nobody's business. So I'd like to see Ortega get one more. I think the Mosar fight would be a good one. Put him on a big card, maybe International Fight Week, you know, something yeah. like that. Or or maybe he's you know, maybe you put him on the same card as Tapori and whoever he's fighting. Um, I'd like to get I'd like to see Ortega get one more and also prove he can stay healthy because. Yeah, that's a real issue. Like when you've been out for two years, obviously you're you're dealing with injuries. And he just he rolled his freaking ankle, which was the most bizarre thing ever. But that freakishly happens before you even fight. Can you trust he can stay healthy for an entire camp and and you know, be champion? <laughs> yeah, I think one more would probably do good. Like if he can stay healthy and fight Evloev, and then you move him into the title fight. I'm fine with that. But I think to me, it's it's wait till UFC 300, see how Max does against Gaethje, and then. How much does Volkanovski want to return by, let's just say, August, if that's the date they want to do it? If Volkanovski wants yeah. it and he's available, I don't love it because I don't, you know, it doesn't really get me super excited because the way the first fight ended, but it's Volkanovski. Mm -hmm. How can you deny yeah. him? He's the GOAT. He, I mean, I don't love it, but he's earned it. So, yeah, you do it. And, and it's not like some new guy that you're like, oh, I don't know if he's ready or is it too soon? It's Volkanovski. It's like, it doesn't get, they don't get any better than this. It didn't look good the first time, but. He's always going to bring it. He always has a chance. You know, I mean, it's like, it's Volkanovski. And I like what you said, you know, put those guys, um, put Ortega and Ivloyev uh, in the co-main event on that Spain card. That way you have a backup fighter in place if something happens, you know, and then they're on the same timeline as well. Both of these fights happen. 
let them both take a while off and then let, let them meet in the finals again. Yeah. And we got to remember, I mean, listen, Juliana Pena, you know, choked out Amanda Nunes wasn't, you know, it's an emphatic victory, second round fight. And then we saw the rematch. Amanda came out there, just beat the brakes off her. So, you know, if there's one guy I've learned not to doubt, it's Alexander Volkanovsky. So if he really is, again, if he wants it and he's ready, you got to give it to him because he's the champ. He deserves that. He deserves that. You know, and again, I don't love it. I, I kind of would like to see something different. But again, if he wants it and he's ready, you got to give it to him. And I would say this. I, I don't know if the next fight would go differently uh, in, certain, in terms of the outcome. I don't know. Not necessarily the knockout, the submission, the finish, but in terms of who would win. Um, I'm not saying Volkanovski would beat Ilya in a rematch, but I'll say this. Guys like Ilya Teporia, you could learn a lot about facing them one time because when you go against somebody who is next level striking, next level boxing, all of a sudden you go, oh my goodness, his shots are so much faster and they're so much cleaner. Like there's less wind up. You just get used to seeing these like MMA type punches and then you see a shot from Deporia, then it's just like, it's just like they stabbed you in the gut. It's so precise. There's no chamber fire. It's fire. And he kind of mentioned it. He goes, man, I mean, we knew you couldn't really make too many mistakes and his boxing was so good. I guarantee you, if they do rematch, he's going to fight him differently. He's going to know you can't just put these four-ounce glove guards up and expect to defend some of these combinations. He's so good at changing levels with the body to the head, punching is Deporia. He's going to have a lot that he's going to take away from this first fight if they have a matchup. I just don't know if he's good enough to beat him. I think Taporia is as good as we think he is. And listen, that stat that's out there, I don't always agree with stats because I don't uh, think 35 stats, and older. But that's, I mean, you can't deny it. It's not like we don't have a sample size. It's 15 times, you know, or 15 guys have tried and 15 guys have failed. Yeah. We just talked about Chandler turning 38. Connor's 35 now. Like, that's just not, there's a, there is a, an expiration date. Whether we want to admit it or not, there is an expiration date on that. And I don't know. Listen, again, I've learned not to doubt Alexander Volkanovsky, but I also look at Ilya Tapori and say that kid is a freaking monster, man. And he's not one dimensional. Look what he did to Bryce Mitchell. Took him down yeah. and submitted Bryce Mitchell, who's a high level grappler. Dude, Tapori is a monster, man. That guy's a scary, scary dude. Like, that guy is, is going to be a, a force to be reckoned with. Uh, my only advice, and I know you agree with me, Alan, let's just stay at Featherweight. Let's stop with this whole, like, I want to fight Connor and I want to jump to Lightweight yeah. already. And. I'm, I'm so over that. We had that conversation last time you were on the podcast. Like, I'm so over this. Like, dude, there's so many good fights for you at Featherweight right now. You can yeah. do the Volkanovski rematch. You can do Holloway. And Ortega's out there. Mozart's out there. Let's just stick at Featherweight. And, and to piggyback on that, um, like Sean O'Malley was talking about, like, fighting Taporia if Taporia won. <laughs> Sean, first of all, we just <laughs> stick with the topic. Let's stay in our weight class. Let's clean out the division. Then we'll have talks of that. But I don't think O'Malley really wants any piece of him. I mean, I, I know the fighter inside of him does, but realistically, his coach has got to be thinking, no, 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 this isn't great because he's bigger than you. He can outstrike you and he can outgrapple you. Let's let's be the taller, rangier striker in our division first. Yeah, that would not be a good matchup for O'Malley. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. 
and new customers to DraftKings can bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. I love that, you know, I I give Sean credit for this because he, he was trying to push that real hard. And then he did the video last week and said, well... I thought everyone would get excited about that, but nope, everyone wants Marab. And I'm like, see, like this, I think people are starting to, I think people like, Sean, he's about to go into his first title defense. And let's be honest, there's no guarantee he's going to get through Cheeto Vera. Cheeto Vera Mm -hmm. is one of the toughest, that dude is, that dude's like a a $2 steak. He's incredibly Mm -hmm. tough. He could lose that fight, but just let's say he gets past Cheeto. That's still only one title defense. Like, let's slow down on the whole calling out Ilya Taporia stuff. Like, Marab deserves his shot. He clearly earns his shot. And I think, and maybe you've seen this a little bit even more than I have because you're around the UFC more because you obviously work as an analyst. I feel like Marab, like, transcended to a different level of stardom after that Cejudo yeah. fight. Like he got cheered. He did the whole Mexico thing. They showed him on camera this last weekend and the crowd went absolutely bonkers. Like it's almost like he's kind of crossed over a little bit where everyone's kind of like, um, oh, you know, Marab's kind of boring. He's a wrestler, blah, blah, blah. It feels like the, the page has turned on that a little bit. And when, when Sean did that video, he's like, well, I thought people would get excited about this, but apparently not. Everyone wants Marab. And I was like, yeah. thank you. I'm glad the world has kind of come around on that. I mean, the, the people are starting to get educated now. We're like, no, no, no. You need the next guy online. I mean, people are starting to really want the system to work as it should. Look, look, these are the rankings. This is a guy who's been starching everyone. Marab, the one fault that Marab had was that he wasn't, you know, he wasn't super entertaining in the octagon with his style of grappling, repeatedly taking you down. He wasn't a great talker or this or that. Well, he flipped the script, the script on everyone, man. He makes these entertaining videos. He's hilarious now. He's calling people. I mean, 
he he understands the game. He gets it. He gets the entertainment side of it now as well. He was already a top-notch fighter. Now he's a top-notch entertainer as well. He has earned his shot. I mean, he's doing all the, the right moves right now as Marab. I, I joked with him when I talked before the fight. The one video he did is Professor Professor Machine, which cracked me up. And he said he was going to call out Frankie Signs, the guy who beat him in his UFC debut when he becomes champion. I was mm. cracking up. I was like, that's a great point. He It does. It seems like Marab has like whatever people had against him, him him smiling at the camera, yelling at uh, Zuckerberg in the cage while he's beating up on Henry Cejudo. Like, I think he is like now become, and that's how quickly it can happen. You know, that's how this sport works. You make a star making moment and suddenly people care. And now all the people who are like, eh, you know, Marab, whatever, you know, I don't really care. Now everyone's like, Marab deserves his shot. He's earned his shot. We want to see it. And, Let's be honest. Listen again. I don't want to. I'm not looking past Cheetah Vera. Cheetah Vera is an incredibly tough dude. That dude, that dude can knock you out. If you're down four rounds, he can still find a way to knock you out in the fifth. But hypothetically, if O'Malley wins, O'Malley Marab is now a big fight. Like it may not have yeah. felt like a big fight before. It is a big fight now. Yeah, the UFC was, you know, like you're saying, a couple months, a year ago, they were like, who can we? throw Marab at we don't want him fighting for the belt you know what do we do if we have this guy that just grapples everybody to death he's a star now man I mean look somebody told me the story with all this online presence that he has now is I think it's his neighbor or something like that his neighbor does a lot of social media stuff does record production stuff and so they link up and they started doing these videos and it has taken off I mean he has won the internet and it's it's building it's not building just his followers online but it's it's building his brand as a fighter and it's helping push him towards these title these title opportunities so it's a great move smart move for him just got to keep fighting like he's doing keep making these videos i think he's going to be champion i do i think he's the toughest guy in the division Uh, i think he's the best guy in the division if i'm being honest i think stylistically he gives everyone that he goes against trouble look what he just did against the toughest type of matchup and suhudo yeah, he dominated him. He out-wrestled the wrestler. I think he does that to everyone else in the division. He's becoming a star. It might be Marab's year by the end of the year. And I, I did. we do our rankings on MMA fighting, and I'll be honest. And I listen, I, I have absolutely nothing. It's nothing against Sean O'Malley. I, this is not a knock on Sean O'Malley. My top three bantamweights, number one, I have Patchy Mix. I think Patchy Mix, in my opinion, is the best bantamweight in the sport. I have Marab at number two. And I have O'Malley at number three. That's not a knock on Sean O'Malley. I just think, and again, if you're talking UFC, it's Marab is number one. I have Patchy slightly ahead only because um, when you look at what Patchy has done over this last year, just absolutely wrecking people, like just n- knocking them out, submitting him. He's just been so dominant. And Patchy and Marab trained together. Like they trained together. Marab was telling me before the fight, like he, Marab said, he told me, he's like, I don't like to sit there and be kind of egotistical and say I'm the best, I'm the number one guy. So I'll say Patchy is the best because I've gone with that guy. Patchy's a monster. Uh, but but Patchy's not in the UFC, so you got to kind of take him out of the equation, obviously. Mm-hmm. To me, it's Marab, and it's not a knock on Sean. I just think, I mean, you're on a 10-fight win streak, and the one thing I can say about O'Malley, let's be honest, Marab's had a better body of work. I mean, I know, yes. I know, I, I like O'Malley, but, like, he, come on. He beat Jan, maybe he beat Jan. I know a lot of people didn't think he won that fight. Now, he beat, he beat Algermain. That's a legit 100% <laughs> That's good win. Sure. But well, look at the, I mean, look what Marab did to Peter Jan. Look what Marab's done to pretty much everybody uh, I agree. I think he's the best bantamweight in the UFC, and yeah, that's the fight we all want to see. It kind of, it's it just it sucks that like it had to take that to happen. But you know what? 
it worked out for him. He beat Henry Cejudo. He's styling with Zuckerberg. He's now Viva La Mexico Marab, which is hilarious. Like he has just become like in a weird. As much as I think he should be the guy fighting Sean O'Malley at UFC 299. In a weird way, it worked out better. And I do want to give credit, by the way. You mentioned his neighbor. I do want to give credit. His manager, Orrin Hodak from KO Reps, I know he's he's spearheaded a lot of like trying to get Marab out there, mm. doing more social media stuff, because he does it with Kevin Holland as well, who is yeah. another of his clients. And I know he's like, Kevin does a lot of videos and stuff like that, too. Um, but yeah, you know, we, as much as I believe, in my heart of hearts, it should be Marab fighting at UFC 299. In a weird, bizarre way, I think it worked out better for him this way because now the whole world is calling for him to get the title shot, and yeah. he's grown a much bigger fan base. Yeah, I, you know, it's it's like um, <laughs> I don't know why I'm thinking a comparison now of Marab and Bilal, where Bilal has tried to do as much as he can online presence. He has that show, remember the name or remember the show, and all that stuff. You know, um. They're trying with Bilal, too, you know, to like, look, what is it that you don't want to give him a shot? But Marab somehow jumped the line. Marab in his videos, Marab in his style of fighting. He became a fan favorite, man. And it's it's just funny. Every time I see a video of Marab, I smile, right? <laughs> and it's not like, oh, I don't like this dude. Everybody just smiles. He's like this likable guy that people can relate to now who is dominant at what he does. And um, I think you're right. I think whoever wins, I'm leaning towards Cheeto just because I think he is the longer, little more precise, little more just a faster fighter. Uh, uh, but Cheeto is a dog, and, and Cheeto is my guy. And I think if anybody could take him into deep waters, um, it, it, then Cheeto could do that. But um, yeah, if O'Malley does get it, whoever gets it, Marab is up next. And I think either one of them are going to have a very tough time dealing with him. Yeah, let me be clear about that. Like, I know we talked a lot about Marab. I want to be clear about this. Like, I'm not discounting Cheeto Vera. Like, that dude hits like a truck. He has a win over O'Malley. I don't care what O'Malley says about that. When you have a win over a guy, there is a certain level of confidence that comes from that. He's been in there. It didn't go long, but he's been in there. So, kind of you were talking about earlier about, like, the Taporia thing. Like, you, you, you know, but you don't know until you get in there. He's been in there with O'Malley. He's felt him a little bit. He felt him in the grappling a little bit, felt him in the striking. He knows his reach. Um... And Cheeto, at his best, can beat anybody. Now, has he done that? No, he's had some losses in there. You know, he had the loss to San Hagen, had the loss to Jose Aldo, but look what he did to Dominic Cruz. Look what he did to Frankie Edgar. Look, I mean, at his best, Cheeto can beat anybody in the world. And I don't know, man. Like I said, recipe, like it was like, it's like uh, when Michael Bisping really wanted that fight with Dan Henderson back. And they ran it back. Dan Henderson didn't technically deserve a title shot. I don't think anyone would have mm -hmm. said he did at that time. And Bisping won. He absolutely won. But there was that moment where Bisping got caught with that right hand. Do you remember that? He got caught. We're like, yeah. holy crap. Here it comes Happening again. again. Uh, don't count out Cheeto Vera. It sounds like I am. I promise you I'm not. Because I will not be shocked if the day after UFC 299, we're talking about Cheeto Vera as the new bantamweight champ of the world. Man, you know, you know what? I, I don't know what this came to my head while you're, while you're saying all these things about O'Malley. Was I don't, did you see the video of O'Malley entering the arena recently? Um, and he had on like that fur coat or something with no shirt on and they were kind of escorting him to the uh to his seat in the arena and the headline on it was like something along the lines of oh this guy's a draw and what they were getting at is they they escorted him and the you know while, while the arena is kind of peaking right the fights are going and normally the crowd erupts whenever you see a celebrity or one of the fan favorites you know nate diaz 
Um, even uh, even if Patty Pimlet, to be honest, Patty Pimlet, he would come into the arena and the place would start going nuts. He started chanting, and I'm like, who's that? And I'm like, oh, this is Patty. He is a big deal because look at sixteen thousand people recognize that he is in the same building with them, and it provokes something out of him, right? So I saw this video, and I don't know if it was touched up or not, but it did make me think. Like people weren't jumping out of their seat to to see O'Malley. They weren't trying to get a high five. They weren't singing. They weren't the the volume of the arena didn't change. And it makes me think: What is it about O'Malley that it seems like he's a huge draw on social media numbers, but he's not a huge draw on like pay per view or? in the presence of him. And I don't know the pay-per-view numbers, but this is kind of what I've heard, that he really doesn't sell the pay-per-views. He's more of like a social media presence. And I don't know I don't know how to connect the dots. I may be asking you a question, well, and I don't know what the question is, but you get what I'm saying, though, right? There's, there's a difference in his type of draw. I think it's a little bit of, this is something Sean Strickland said, and I don't totally agree with what Sean Strickland said when he was talking about the whole Jake Paul thing, but I think there's a little bit of that Jake Paul thing where he's like a huge influencer, huge numbers on social media, huge YouTube numbers, all that kind of stuff. But are his fans of the age where they're oh, going to plug down younger, $80? They're younger, younger demographic. Yeah, and so I think that could be part of it because when he does something on social media, he does Twitch, all these kind of things he does, people pay attention. But are those fans, the 19, 20-year-old college students, are they plunking down $80? To watch him fight, and I think no, no, this weapon. I think there's a little bit of that Jake, that Jake Paul thing, where Jake, because yeah. Jake, like anyone that doesn't say Jake Paul isn't a star is lying to them. He is a, he's a massive star, but everyone always talks about like, does his pay per view sell? And I think that's what we're talking about here is that yeah, there the fame. I was at his fight with Tyron Woodley in in Cleveland here in Ohio. I've never been around a younger audience in my life. I had so many like teenage kids coming up and saying stuff about the fight and talking to me about the fight. And it was, and I've covered a million UFC shows. I have never seen less under 18 people attend a fight than when Jake Paul fought Tyron Woodley. Yeah. But will those same people turn around and then spend 50, 60, $70 on a pay-per-view? And I think that's kind of where O'Malley's at. Like when you hear Al Jermaine talk about their pay-per-view numbers, it wasn't like this big record breaking number. Like they did a pretty, you know, moderate, like, by 2024 standards, 2023 standards, is it okay? Yeah, but Dustin Poirier sells more, and Max Holloway probably sells more. Like, I think that's you, it. I think I think he's got the, the the influencer presence, but I don't know if that translates into buys. You took the words out of my mouth because that is probably why Dustin Poirier was able to get that extra money that he was asking for when he was holding out, and none of us really knew this, but he hadn't signed the papers against Benoit Santini because he wanted more money, right? And he's not fighting a Conor McGregor anymore. He's fighting somebody lower in the rankings. But he wanted more money. The UFC was in negotiations with it. But when you look at the bigger picture, like we just brought up, O'Malley is the headliner. But O'Malley probably doesn't really sell that many. He sells pay-per-views, but not that many because he's the younger demographic. You have to now insert a pay-per-view type guy like a Dustin Poirier on there to, to help the card. They needed Dustin on there. So that's why they were in nego negotiations, but they had to pay Dustin his money. He had he had the leverage right there. It's like, you, you have your star headlining it, but he's not a pay-per-view guy. You know that. And so I want my extra X amount of money. He ended up getting it, so it played out. So I think I think we're on the right track to figuring this whole thing out, man. Like it or not, and I'm not again, I'm not saying this to be offensive to Sean O'Malley, but like it or not, Dustin Poirier is a bigger star. 
Like Dustin Poirier yeah. is a bigger star than Sean O'Malley. Dustin Poirier draws, and that's proven. I mean, we see it. We know when he fights people like the the stories I wrote about the just that in that twenty four hour period about he's out of the fight and like four hours later he's back in the fight. Like there's a million people j- just clamoring to know about what was going on there. And the UFC's smart to put him on there because at the end of the day, if they sell 500,000 pay-per-view buys, O'Malley was the headline and they say, look what O'Malley can do. But how many mm-hmm. of those 500,000 pay-per-view buys were saying, I'm going in for Dustin Poirier? Because yeah. Dustin Poirier, in my opinion, is one of the bigger draws in the sport. And so yeah. there's a reason he's on this card. You and I both, like, no one, Sean O'Malley's camp may not say it. You and I both know he's on here to boost O'Malley because I don't know if this was just O'Malley and like four of the random fights I don't know this would sell you put Dustin Poirier on here it sells now it sells it's a cherry on top because it's an un- unbelievable card but it's not an unbelievable card full of draws it's just yeah. a solid freaking fight card topped with O'Malley who's we're, we're, we're unsure we're unsure how much he draws he does alone right you put him on there with some other names We've got these big draws plus O'Malley. Oh, shit, this is a fire card. <sighs> O'Malley by himself, we don't know. So, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right, man. You throw Dustin on there, you give him the extra bag, get this card solid. All right, so before we get out of here, and I know I'm asking you to step on a bit of a landmine because I know Dustin's your guy. Of course, you guys are Louisiana guys. Uh, and to be clear, and I this is not like I like Benoit Saint-Denis. I think he's an incredibly talented fighter, but I've known Dustin yeah. for – 15 years. I mean, I've been around Dustin. I, 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 I've always liked Dustin. Um, how much danger is Dustin stepping into with a fight like this? Because this is, in my opinion, every fight, there's a risk in every fight in the UFC. I don't care what you're doing. There's a risk. Of course, it's a fight. But this, to me, feels like a very high-risk, low-reward fight. Because if he beats Benoit Saint-Denis, everyone's going to say, well, Benoit was number 11 or whatever, and you should have beaten him, right? Because mm-hmm. it's Dustin Poirier. But if he loses, that's two in a row after he got knocked out by Justin Gaethje and he just lost it. This is, and I don't think this is like, I think when, when Gilbert Burns fought Hamzat Chemaev, it was different because even though Hamzat wasn't ranked, he was already kind of a star. I don't know that anyone, like, Dustin's the star here. No one, I've not heard anyone banging the drum saying I'm buying this solely because Benoit St. Denise on this card. <laughs> this is not a Hamza situation or even like a, a, a Patty Pimblet. Like Patty Pimblet's not mm-hmm. a ranked guy, but if you're a ranked lightweight, you should beg for the Patty Pimblet fight because he's such a big name. How much of a risk is Dustin taking right here by even taking this fight? There's risk, right? But I'm going to disagree with you for a bit. I think a win over Benoit Saint-Denis, Dustin is right back where he wants to be. He's got the leverage because you mentioned it. He's one of the biggest stars in the sport. You take a guy who's one of the biggest stars in the sport, they don't need a title run, right? They just need one win. They need one win to be right back where they were. And, oh, yeah, lower-ranking guy who's on, what, a five-fight win streak finishing all these guys. He's the new, trying to be the new face of France right now. He's got momentum. In, in build-up to this fight, I had a guy from France. I had a guy from Paris reach out to me. Hey, we're in Lafayette right now. We're filming because we're building him over there. Can we come to your house and interview you? And you could tell us where to go. A guy from Paris came to my house a couple weeks ago and sat in my den and interviewed me and asked me all these questions. And I was like dumbfounded. I was like, you flew here from Paris with all this equipment and stuff just to, to hype this up? He's like, we're really trying to build him. We're trying to, trying to push it MMA over there. 
they're building this over there. He is their guy that they want to be their number one face if he can get past Dustin Poirier. I think Dustin Poirier, if he goes out there and puts Benoit Santini away, he's right back in track where he's going to say, I want a title shot. I want this. I want the BMF. He's right back in that one, two, three position. Now, is there a bunch of danger? Obviously, Dustin's getting older now. Benoit Santini, um, not a young guy, but he's on a tear right now. He's a lower rank guy. But when I look at the matchup, a little bit X's and O's, Benoit Santini, I used to always say this when I first found him, when I first became a fan of Benoit, I said, he finds the weakness in other fighters and then he exploits it. And he does do that. But the more I watch all of his fights, I go, he does that, but really he leans on his grappling. I didn't think of him as a grappler when I first saw him. I thought of him as a well-rounded guy who finds the holes. But the more that I watch him, he's a guy that comes forward kicking and that nervous energy range from far away. Hard kicks, hard kicks. He'll throw a big hand looking to get his hands on you, back you up against the fence, get you to the ground. He's not scared to go against wrestlers. He's not scared to go against jujitsu black belts. He takes them all down and he finishes them. I talked to Dustin about this fight. I'm like, he is going to try to close the distance on you. If you could stay off of the fence, man, and circle and keep this in boxing range and don't let him take you down, man, this is yours for the taking. You are the better boxer. And it's Southpaw against Southpaw, which now you have your jab. Now you have your body. But by the way, I'm not, for the record, I wasn't educating Dustin. He knew all this. I was giving him my input. Um, So it's a super dangerous fight against an up-and-coming guy, lower ranked, but a very winnable fight that people are more thinking about the danger than the, the winnability that there is for Dustin Poirier. But to wrap it all up and put a bow on it, I think he's right back in the right spot, man. I think with the win right here over a lower-ranked guy, he's in that conversation again. And we also got to remember with Benoit, like I think he's an incredibly talented guy, but there is there's a difference of being an incredibly talented guy knocking out people at the UFC Apex versus yeah. co-main event, Miami, 20,000 people going nuts, and you're fighting Dustin Poirier. Like, like it or not... You and I both know we have some we have seen some guys fade in the spotlight. It is a big moment and it is a lot to take in. You know what I mean? That he's gonna he's gonna do more interviews that week than he's probably done his entire career. He's gonna have to do more video packages talking about Dustin Poirier than he's ever done his entire career. So much more pressure is on you when you're in a fight of this magnitude. Like it or not, that's a real factor. Can he stand up to the pressure, not only of Dustin Poirier in the cage, but can he stand up to the pressure of being in that situation? this early in his UFC career. I mean, this is not by, by ranking standards. He shouldn't be fighting Dustin Poirier. Let's be honest. Like he should be fighting, you know, Dan hooker or somewhere in that like 10 to 15 range where he is. Yeah. He's getting a huge opportunity here. And listen, like I said, that's, I, I still do think this is high risk for, for Dustin, but you're right though. The flip side of this is if Dustin wins, Dustin's in a, Dustin is, he's not Connor. I know that he's not Connor, but he's like the next tier down from Connor. Like he doesn't need as much. Like he goes out and dusts Benoit Saint Denis. We don't forget about the Gaethje fight, but we move on pretty quickly. Like we're just like, oh yeah, yeah he, okay, yeah, he lost to Gaethje, but he just knocked out Benoit Saint Denis. Let's see him fight, you know, uh, Charles Oliveira again. Let's see him fight, you know, one of these other big names. So yeah, you're right. Like he's kind of transcended to where. The other name doesn't matter as much because he's the star, and I think that's that's where you get into like who 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 has who has real star power. It's when you can fight anybody, and people yeah. will tune in to watch you fight, and that's kind of where Dustin's at right now. And you know what else on the financial end, Dustin. 
Dustin renegotiates his contract every fight, right? <laughs> we, we get locked in eight fight contracts, six fight contracts, five. You heard, I heard somebody the other day, God, who was it talking about Cowboy Cerrone? Cowboy, yeah. Cowboy's a star. Cowboy was probably like, we're talking about tears, right? There's Connor, there's Dustin. Cowboy was probably somewhere under there. You know, he's a huge star in the UFC. Everybody loves him. He's beloved by the fans. He just, the, the, the UFC adores him. But even though they adore him, what did he say? He said he, fight, he fought Conor McGregor under his contract pay. You kidding me? Conor McGregor under your contract pay? Dustin Poirier is at a place now where I think he's got like a seven-fight contract. I don't see that being fulfilled. I don't think he's going to fight seven more times. But every time he fights, he goes from fighting Conor McGregor to Michael Chandler to Benoit Saint-Denis, and he still got the bag. He still got the payday, and he still held out and made the UFC pay him more. That speaks to the level of star power. That speaks to the level of how many people would pay the $80 to cough up that money for pay-per-view buys. He's a star, man. He is. And you know what? I want to give credit where credit's due. Dustin is an incredibly smart guy, and I know he's got good people in his corner. You know, I know people who work with him. But how incredibly smart has this guy been to know his value? And, you know, they didn't they didn't get him to sign a contract. Well, guess what? He has all the leverage. You've announced the fight. So yeah. now you're going to pay him a bag, a little bigger, bigger bag, and credit to him for getting having that kind of business savvy because you and I both know some guys would just, you know, the UFC calls, I, yes, I'll take it, and they're fine with the contract pay, and I get it, you're under contract. Like, Dustin's not going to get out of contract. He's, he's going to retire in the UFC. Like, we all agree, seven-fight yeah. deal, he's not going anywhere. But they need Dustin. They need a star like Dustin. So they're going to come back to the table. He's in a little bit of that like Nate Diaz position where he has a little bit more power, a little bit more sway, a little bit more influence. And he can say, you know what? I got a seven-fight deal, but I'm going to re-up my seven-fight deal and you're going to pay me $2 million to fight Benoit Saint-Denis. And they're going to say, okay, well, we need you here. We're going to have you fight. And okay, Dustin, I, I love that he's in that position now where he can say, I'm worth it and you're going to pay me what I'm worth. And you're right. Every single time Dustin fights, little inside baseball knowledge here. I think every fight since every every fight with the, going around the Connor fight, he's renegotiated every single time and got paid more money. And good for him to do it, man. I love it. Not everyone has that power. Not everyone has that leverage. Dustin Poirier does, and damn right he should be doing that. It's a good position to be in, right? And and if he was here right now, you know what he would say? Paid in full, baby. He, <laughs> he's done it. He's got probably the 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 toughest roster resume in in all of the ufc when i think about guys that have fought the the toughest fights the dogs of the dogs it's it, it's dustin poirier it's um rafael dos Anjos. um i mean there's two or three guys that have fought the caliber of fighters that he has and, and so he's in that, that that position that he sits in right now I remember being in his fight in W. It, it was UFC. Uh, it was in Virginia when he fought the Korean Zombie. Like that, you realize how long ago that was. Like that's how that long was this like guy's UFC been. on fuel. fuel. <laughs> UFC on, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, I always remember that drive home because I drove home from there and I had to go through West Virginia. And I always remember it was late at night and it was fog, and I could not see five feet in front of me. I had a one truck in front of me and I was following their red light, their taillights all the way through West Virginia, driving home from Dustin Poirier's fight with uh, with the Korean zombie. But this guy's earned it. Like that's he's earned it. He's put in the work. He deserves it. And yeah, I'm so happy that he goes out there and, and gets paid a huge bag of money, as he should. And when this pay-per-view is when this pay-per-view is done and the numbers come in, 
I hope Sean O'Malley walks backstage and gives Dustin a handshake and says, thank you, man. Yeah. Cause, cause they're going to, cause this is an incredible card. Listen, Gilbert Burns, Jack Della Madalena is great. I mean, I talked to Curtis Blades last week. He's fighting Jelton on made on the prelims. That's the featured prelim. It's Curtis Blades and Jalten Almeida. Oh my goodness! What, yeah, what a matchup. Yeah, this but card I mean, is great, man. But Sean O'Malley better dap up uh, Dustin. And be like, you know, just just a little, just a little fist bump to say thanks for bumping up the pay per view oh, yeah. numbers. Because you and I both know Dustin being on this card is going to sell a lot of pay per views. And you he know, needs to send him a, a chain like, uh, <laughs> like what's his name, the boxer that you mentioned, the. Uh, What's it? What's the influencer? Jake Paul. Jake yeah. Paul sent him that Connor chain after. Yeah. Remember? Yeah. After this is over, O'Malley needs to send him a thank you for sure. Oh, absolutely! It's gonna be great, man. Yeah, you know, we're getting all hyped up here. Like I said, we barely talked about UFC 300. UFC 299 is so good, man. And I don't want to look past this. We got this weekend. Umar Nurmagomedov's coming back. I'm super excited about that. Muhammad Makayev, he could potentially earn a title shot. Right now, we don't know what's going on at flyweight. Pantoja doesn't really have a, a true number one contender. I feel bad for um, Roy Vall, but Roy Vall just fought him in December. I think it's hard to run that back. You got yeah. Makayev against Alex Perez. That's a really fun fight. Let's be honest, Alan. The main event's not the strongest in the world with uh, with Rosenstrike and and uh, and and uh, and Shamil, but. Yeah, the rest of the car is sneaky good. Umar coming back, but then man, two ninety nine. Like I'm just getting hyped right now thinking about it. Like that card is so good, man. It's gonna be this next. These next couple months are gonna be really, really good in this sport. I was gonna say that. I mean, <laughs> that's why we're jumping this card because it's it's a, it's a you know it's a it's an average kind of apex card, um, but the good ones. I mean, it just gets better and better. Two ninety nine, three hundred. It's it's we're gonna be. After these these fights are done, two ninety nine and then three hundred. God, who has to follow that? Who's at three hundred one? Or is that going to be Brazil? That's Brazil. I mean, it's, yeah, it's Brazil. I mean, it's three hundred one, three hundred two. They're <laughs> they're in a tough spot right there. <laughs> they are, but man, I tell you what, two ninety nine and three hundred are going to be a lot of fun. Uh, before we get out of here, Alan, where are you going to be at next? What do you got coming up soon so people can be on the lookout for you? Man. I don't even know right now, but I'm pretty sure. Uh, oh, you know what I'm going to be on? I'm going to be on uh, UFC Atlantic City, baby. I'm going to Atlantic City. I've never been there before. Um, and I've just always wanted to go just as a fight fan, man. Over the years, you always would see like um, like Axis TV days or Lion Fight, Muay Thai at Atlantic City. UFC has been there before. I used to live in New York for a couple of years, but I've never been there. So I'm bringing my family. Um, and they've got some new additions to the card, making that one a little bit more exciting. So check me out there. I'll be on the um, on the broadcast of that one. I just talked to Chris Wyman a couple weeks ago. He's getting ready for that one. Wyman's uh, on there, right? Oh, yeah, Wyman. Man. Yeah, it's a good card. Uh, Aaron Blanchfield. Yeah, I've been. To, I've been actually. Cut- Luke was added. I mean, that's yeah. A good- First ever, first ever UFC card I ever covered in person was uh, the UFC card in Atlantic City when oh, wow. uh, Rich Franklin knocked out Evan Tanner to become middleweight champion, and wow. Andre Arlovsky knocked out Justin Eilers in the main event. That was my first UFC Jeez. event I covered as press. I went to Atlantic City. I've been to Atlantic City a bunch of times, but uh, and, and yeah, the majority was, of the MMA world wouldn't even know who Rich Franklin is. Uh, yeah, or Justin yeah, Eilers. Sadly, sadly, he's gone. But yeah, Justin Eilers just had name to somebody like that card. Yeah, it was a great card, man. It was a uh, Atlantic City. But Evan Tanner, of course, also sadly not with us anymore. But yeah, yeah. that was the uh, middleweight title fight, and then the heavyweight title fight was Arlovsky and Eilers. That was my first ever UFC event. I attended his press. Crazy, and Arlovsky is still fighting. <laughs> <laughs> he's still around, dude. He's still around, still yeah, kicking it, man. Not going anywhere. Absolutely. Well, Alan, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show, man. I appreciate it. Uh, we're always glad to have you on, man. And thank you as always for the time. And we will uh, we will chat again real soon. Pleasure, man. This was a fun one.
listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.